Let me, I'm going to pray and then we'll get started and look into God's, when I get started, we'll keep going and look into God's word. So God, we're, thank, uh, God, we're grateful that you gave us uh, the Bible and it's not just ink printed on pages and it's not just some rule book. It's actually uh, your words made alive to us and it's um, through the Bible, through your words speaking through the Bible that we hear you and we know you and we are challenged by you, your Holy Spirit, to be the kind of men and women and girls and boys that you designed us to be full of life, full of your life, full of joy, overflowing for others. So Holy Spirit, um, would you speak to us? Would you give us ears to hear whatever you have to say to us today? And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, uh, when I was about probably the same age that Dan was talking about, you know, that, the, when, the, when that TV show was popular... There were many times my mother would send me on a mission, all right? It was usually right before dinner time. She would send me on a mission. I would get out. I had this yellow bike that was kind of one of those ones that had the banana seat. Those of you who weren't around, you know, that, may be, that may feel like ancient history to you. It was a banana seat, and I would, it had little shocks on it, and I would ride down Union Street, and I would go to this little store named, called Dietz Northside Market, and my mission, my clear mission was this. I was supposed to get a bottle of ketchup for the family, all right? I had four brothers, so five of us. I put ketchup on everything, and so we were out of ketchup all the time, all the time. And so my mom would send me down. She'd give me whatever, $2 or whatever, and say, go down and get a bottle of ketchup. We're having hamburgers for dinner or hot dogs or anything else we would put ketchup on. So I'd walk in, and this little market, this uh, little grocery store was probably no bigger than from here to the wall to that wall to here. It was a real dinky, dinky place. But, you know, down on Union and 23rd Street in Columbus, Indiana. I'd go in there. Clear mission was to get a bottle of ketchup, all right? It was my clear mission. I'd go in there. I was probably, I don't know, 9, 10 years old. And I'd start just kind of roaming the aisles. I and mean, it's not a real big store, so there's not many aisles to roam. But I'd start roaming the aisles, and I'd stop, and I'd be like, Jello pudding, you know, the box, chocolate. We haven't had that for a while. I bet mom would want me to get that because I would like, I would love chocolate pudding. And then it was like, oh, wait a minute, cherry jello, I like that too. And I'd start looking at things I wish we had at home that I really liked. And then, the, you know, the final thing was I'd go over there and like, oh, baseball cards. wonder if I could get some baseball cards and the jello. And then I'd see these, this food we hadn't had and this food. And to the point where I would actually, then I'd be like, like well, I forgot what I came down here for. And then I would have to go to the, and this happened so many times, I'd go down to the, the, front, the front counter and ask Mr., Mrs. Dietz, who ran the little market, if I could use the phone, because I needed to call home to ask my mom what was it I was supposed to get. I'd call her up, and I was like, well, I'm, oh, ketchup. Okay, can I get pudding too? No, just ketchup. Well, can I get baseball cards? No, just get the ketchup and bring it home. Okay, hang up the phone, I get the ketchup and go home. It was so easy to get kind of distracted in the mission. I knew what I was supposed to get, but there were all kinds of other things that were kind of distracting me, even though mom was pretty clear. But I would always call down or I'd ask, can I get something else? Can we get this or that or this or that? But the mission was clear. And what I want to talk today about is, I think, I know with me and my guesses, maybe you can relate to this, we've lost, we can lose our sense of what the mission is that God has us even here on the earth for. Why are we even gathering here on a Sunday morning? Why do we call ourselves Christians? What are we supposed to do every day? We, we've been given a mission, but we get, so, we get distracted, and then all of a sudden we forget, and we're trying to figure out 
I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here, and I guess I'm supposed to just go to church and hold on for dear life until something happens in the future, and then maybe Jesus will let me go to heaven someday. And, but I want to talk today about what was the mission that Jesus was sent on, and what does that mean for our mission? How in the world does that mean that you and I are supposed to live Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every week over and over again? What does that mean? What's the mission? What are we supposed to be doing? Well, we've been talking about the last uh, six, seven, five weeks or whatever was the Gospel of John, John 13 to 17. And it was all, it all took place on Thursday night of Passover week. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed by the end of that evening, betrayed by Judas. It was the night he was arrested, and the next day is when he was tortured and whipped and beaten and then crucified on a cross. And then it was, rose again a few days later. But it all took place. John, who was there, and we kind of get the sense that John was sitting next to Jesus. They would have been sitting at a table, oblong table. There were 12 of them, 13 counting Jesus. They would have been sitting on the floor because they didn't eat in chairs then. They kind of leaned, I think, on their left side and kind of ate, da 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 so Jesus is all this talk. He's kind of talking to them, having this conversation. He's not lecturing. He didn't like to pull up a podium to the table and say, excuse me, I have a talk. It was in conversation. And he's talking to them about what's about to happen. Of course, they had no idea what was going to happen. But he's kind of reiterating, these are the important things I want you to remember about what my mission was. So the last, you know, it's the evening starts. It says they started off, they had a Passover dinner. Um... It mentions already that Judas had been kind of prompted by Satan to do some really evil things by betraying Jesus. This is when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's part of the Passover celebration. It wasn't part of the Passover celebration, but they're doing all this food and wine, all the little script for the Passover meal. Jesus breaks the script and washes their feet, which only low-life slaves were supposed to do. And then he tells them, this is what I've done for you. Now you need to do this for one another. He starts to turn upside down what life and success are all about. Tells them to love one another. And he knew it would be really hard for them to do that, like it is for us. But then there's one part of the chapter where he says this. And I want to highlight, every week we've been highlighting on a phrase. But there's one point where he's talking to them again around the table. They've finished the meal. They're relatively full. And he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming the Father who sent me. All right, I just want to focus on the, the simple phrase, the Father who sent me. If you look in the Gospel of John, again, again written by John, who was there in this evening, who was one of Jesus' disciples, who had been a fisherman following Jesus and had spent the last two-ish, three-ish years with Jesus, if you read the Gospel of John, Jesus said something like this close to 40 times. The Father who sent me, the one who sent me. If you believe in God, you'll believe in me because he's the, it's the one who sent me. I only do what the Father who sent me tells me to do. I've been sent by the Father to do this. I mean, it's, Jesus is obsessed with telling them he was sent by the Father. He's... 40 times. And in, in this Thursday night alone, in the account that John records, Jesus says it, I think, like six or seven times. It shows up in the next few chapters. The one who sent me, the Father who sent me, the Father sent me. I was sent by the Father. It's almost like he has to keep reminding them he was sent. He was sent now. Again, the question is, what was he sent to do? What was Jesus sent to do? Because if we can unpackage that a little bit, we can start to ask ourselves and answer the question, okay, what am I supposed to do? 
Because if Jesus was sent to do something, what am I supposed to do? All right, here's some possibilities of what he's sent to do. First option is this. Was Jesus sent just to make us good moral people? Was Jesus sent just to give us a sense of self-righteousness that some Christians you and I know and maybe we've been ourselves? Was Jesus sent just to give us a sense of moral superiority so the rest of the world would finally see the right way and do things our way? All right? Obviously, the answer to that's no. Second one, was Jesus sent to keep us out of hell? Now, think about that for a second. Do you think Jesus thought his primary mission was to keep you and I out of hell? I'm not questioning the sincerity of the person who put this billboard up. Maybe you've seen it. There's a number of them around the country, but there's one on the way up to Indianapolis on 37. But you read the Gospels. Jesus did not understand his primary mission. It was, it was not to keep you and I out of hell. That was not what he believed he came for. Now, is that a truthful statement? Is that a byproduct? Yes, but it was not the mission he was sent on. He was not sent to keep you and I out of hell. All right? How about this next one? <laughs> Republican Jesus. Jesus was not sent to give us great family values and to vote for moral things and to guard our rights and freedoms. He was not sent to do that. All right? Yes, Jesus is for family values, but Jesus was not sent to give us family values in a sense. All right? He was not Republican Jesus. All right? But neither was he kind of revolutionary Jesus who came just to kind of fight for the underclass and the poor and, and make sure that uh, you know, government would handle and take care of poor people well. Now, and by that, you can probably understand, here at Exodus, frankly, we don't care how you vote. Um, in a sense, we need to be good citizens and we need to be you know, informed by you know, biblical teaching and the teachings of Jesus. But how you vote is not a prerequisite for whether you can come to Exodus or not. All right? So Jesus wasn't sent to be that kind of... And the last one, was Jesus sent to kind of... This is one of my PowerPoint fun things, all right? Was Jesus sent to say, hey, you're okay and I'm okay. Hey, dude, that's good. All right? Was Jesus kind of your buddy? All right? I love playing with PowerPoint, just so you know. If it, if, it ever, if it ever has more bells and whistles, that could be dangerous, all right? No, he wasn't sent just to be our good buddy friend and I'm cool with Jesus, all right? So that, then the question is, what was he sent to do? If he wasn't sent primarily to keep us out of hell, if he wasn't sent primarily to give us good moral values, if he wasn't sent primarily to fight for the underclass, if he wasn't sent primarily to be our good buddy... What did Jesus believe his mission was to do? What was he sent to do? Again, he says this over and over. He was sent, he was sent, he was sent. What was his bottle of ketchup? What was he sent to do? To answer that question, we're going to go back probably about three years in the life of Jesus. So here's the disciples sitting at the table. Maybe they were having flashbacks when Jesus was saying these things. We're going to go back to Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, a small town in the northern part of Israel. Where there was a, as there was in every town, there was the Jewish synagogue, the place where they would gather to worship, and it was a regular two or three times a week kind of ritual. They would gather, and those, the men would gather in a certain place. The women could be allowed only so far, but the men would be part of this uh, 
somebody would get up and get one of the scrolls out, read something from what they knew then as the Bible, which was the Jewish, old, the Jewish Bible, which we call the Old Testament. And we don't know if it was Jesus' turn to read or he asked to read it. We don't know how that worked. We don't know if they went in alphabetical order, whose turn it was that day. But for some reason, that particular ordinary day, Jesus was going to be one of the readers. He wasn't the pastor. He wasn't the char- in charge guy. He was a carpenter. You know, 29, 30 years old, and it was his turn to read. But they knew that there were some things unique about him. He gets up there. He, op- he grabs the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. And from Isaiah 61, he begins to read this passage that also that Luke is recording this for us. What happens? So Jesus reads this passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me... Read that with me out loud. He has sent me... All right. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released... The blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. So he reads that straight from the book of Isaiah. Everybody in, the, everybody in that synagogue knew that. He rolls it up, and then he says to them, Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they knew what he meant by that. What he was saying was, That's about me. And it said, I love this part of the passage, but the way Luke describes it, is that every eye in the synagogue was fixed on Jesus. They were like, whoa. You could hear a pin drop because he's saying something that we've all been waiting for. He's the Messiah. Whoa. And it says as Jesus goes to his seat, and they're just fixed on him. Because Jesus just said something about himself, about the mission he was on, and that he was the one that they had all been waiting for. Now, that particular story ends with them actually trying to drag him out and throw him off the cliff because they were mad at him then. Like, we sometimes get mad at Jesus because we, we, like, we like Jesus to be for us and he actually challenges us. We don't like it anymore. But the point on this I want to make is he was sent to bring good news and to bring freedom. Release, blind will see, oppressed will be set free. Time the Lord's favor will come. The Lord's favor. They all, every Jewish man and woman knew this. It was the sense that God would finally bring his goodness back to us. He would look to us with favor like a father will to a child that he loves. And this was radical because they thought God was really mad at them. And yeah, God can sometimes, God will be intolerant of our sin. But Jesus is saying, I came to show you that God's favor is available to you. If you just simply <coughs> repent, turn. Turn, turn from what you're doing now. All right? So he knew from the very beginning what his mission was. It was to help people become, be set free. Not just physical blind to see, but that was part of it. But that spiritually we would start seeing things through a whole new way. Those things that keep you chained up in life, whether it's habits or mindsets that are oppressing you. Jesus said, I came to set us free. I came to set you free of those things. I came to break those patterns that you know are not giving you life anymore, but they're killing you. And you and I both have patterns like that in our lives, and you know what I'm talking about. He said, I came to set those free. And so when Jesus is saying this in the temple and the people are amazed, it's because nobody's told us this before. Now, what's interesting, okay, then fast forward two or three years and Jesus does all this teaching. The disciples know this is what Jesus said his message is. And then after he rose from the dead at the end of John... 
Jesus then says to his disciples, i.e., you and me as well, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. So if Jesus was sent to proclaim freedom for the captives, release for those in prison, recovery of sight for the blind, and freedom for those who are oppressed, if that's what he was sent to do, and he's saying, as the Father sent me, then so I'm sending you, then wouldn't that be what we're sent to do? That our message is not primarily, and please hear me on this, the message is not primarily trust that Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven after you die and not go to hell. That is not the gospel, right? That is not the good news that Jesus focused his energy on. The good news was, as Jesus said over and over again, the kingdom of heaven is near, which was life with God is now possible for you. Freedom, friendship with God is now possible. The favor of God on you is now accessible to you. You can be the kind of person you always dream you can be with the help of God in your life. And Jesus said, and it's going to happen through me. You follow me and I'll show you how to live that kind of life. The gospel is you can be friends with God. Life with God is now accessible to you. And yes, future reality is going to have some degree of if you're a friend of God, you'll spend eternity with God. But his primary message was not simply a ticket to hell or bummer for you, don't get a ticket and you go to the other place. That was not the primary message of Jesus. And if we make that the primary message of Jesus, then all it becomes about is a we and they kind of life we live and we just hold on for dear life until Jesus comes back. And in the meantime, we just make sure we have our ticket. That was not what Jesus taught us. All right? So he's sending us to bring freedom to people. Now, so let's get practical. What does that look like? He says, okay, I'm sending you. I'm supposed to bring this message of freedom to people. It's a nice concept, but let's get practical kind of on the, in the day-to-day level. I'm going to say this. This is the overarching sentence for today. Jesus is sending you and me into Bloomington to do what he did. Jesus is sending you into Bloomington to do what he did. Because if Jesus said his mission was to set people free, he had this broad mission statement. You know, Jesus probably had it printed in nice color brochures and handed out, here's my mission statement, here's my mission statement, I'm going to set people free. But he didn't do that. But what he did was his, his actions aligned with his stated mission. He didn't care whether people could repeat his mission. He wanted, to act, his, wanted his actions to be concurrent with his mission. So let's then, we're going to take eight different, eight different things that Jesus did that were aligned with his mission of setting people free that you and I, from Jesus, are sent to do in Bloomington. All right? not, maybe not all of you are from Bloomington, and if you're not from Bloomington or if you have another hometown, fill in the blank there. But for those of us who live here or if you're in school here, you may think you're in Bloomington because of a job, because of a major, because of a scholarship, because your husband lived here, your wife lives here. But the real reason is Jesus sent you here. That's the undergirding reason. He sent you here for some reason. Okay, first thing we see in Jesus, what Jesus did over and over in the Gospels is he healed people. He was engaged in people's lives. He knew their pain and he healed them. Now, if Jesus sends us into Bloomington to do what he did, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you, what does that flesh itself out? Last I knew, nobody set up a healing ministry on the corner to heal people. But it doesn't mean you can't be praying for people in your neighborhood that have broken marriages or broken bodies. 
It doesn't mean there might be times you might say to a friend of yours, hey, can I, can I pray for you right now about that? It's really awkward. It stretches you. But Jesus believed there was a power from God available to bring healing to people. And he acted on that, not in a goofy kind of way, but in a very natural but yet supernatural way. And that's what he did. That's what he was sent to do. That's what we're sent to do. Another thing Jesus did, he delivered people from the power of Satan. As an expression of the fact that he sent to set people free, he understood that there was a reality in the invisible world. In that invisible world, there exists a real being called Satan who is opposed to anything that God wants that is good. And he was aware of that, and he lived life in that reality, and he realized that Satan often took hold of people, and Jesus was active in setting them free. If that's what Jesus did, that's what we do. And maybe the practical application of that is just even to be aware that Satan is... is alive and active. He's going to be trying to mess you up. He's going to mess up your family. He's going to try to mess up your neighbors, mess up people you work with, and realize that what Jesus came to do and what he sent us to do is to be a part of their freedom, praying for them, being aware of those things. Next one. He confronted the spirit of religiosity. Jesus did not make friends with the religious establishment. He, he challenged the status quo. He wasn't, he didn't like, he actually had strong dislike for religious people because of the pride that was in part of that. Part of what you and I are called to do is to not give ourselves into religiosity, not give ourselves into this prideful way of thinking about ourselves. And it's okay to challenge the status quo. It's okay to challenge the status quo as long as this, as long as you let Jesus, Jesus challenge your status quo first. If you let Jesus, Jesus challenge you in the way you do things, the way you understand life as a Christian, then part of what I think it means to follow Jesus is to be someone who also challenges the status quo because there's always a better way that Jesus has for us. Another one. Jesus displayed God's radical forgiveness. He actually told people that, they would, that, he would, he would forgive, that God would forgive their sins. He told this story about this father with his prodigal son when the, when the son had wasted his father's money and dr you know, drug his father's name through the mud, and then he comes back home. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, their version of the father would be somebody who would stand here, and when the son comes home all dirty and smelling like pigs the father would say, well, what do you have to say for yourself? And I can't believe you did this. And yeah, there might be a place in the barn for you. That's how the Pharisees understood how God responds to our sin. And if I can let you on a secret, my guess is a lot of us feel like that's how God responds to us when we sin, that we think God's just kind of ticked off at us. But in this case, what Jesus told them was when the son came home, when he actually turned his way back to God, the father ran and embraced him. And that was way out of line according to the Pharisees. That's not what God is like. But Jesus said, no, that's it. that is what God is like. So whether that's you, maybe you need to understand that when you turn back from your sin toward God, he doesn't give you, you know, 10 lashes with a wet noodle kind of thing. He embraces you, and we live in that kind of reality of forgiveness. Next thing. He touched the untouchables. You weren't supposed to touch people that were leprous. 
because they were unclean, let alone was a health issue. But Jesus touched them. You weren't supposed to touch dirty people, but Jesus would physically touch them. You weren't supposed to hang out with sinners. There was one time, many times, but one time in particular, Jesus ate at a meal with prostitutes and tax collectors, which were really like evil, corrupt people. But Jesus was at a party of these people, and the Pharisees actually said to Jesus, in, in, in the original language, but it's an accurate translation to say it this way, Jesus, why do, you, why do you spend time with such scum? Why do you, that's, that's appalling to us. Is there anybody in or around your life or in and around your neighborhood that you just, maybe they're either unlovely, untouchable, or I don't know, you kind of think they're scum? You won't say that to anybody. Oh, no, you would never say that to somebody. But you kind of avoid them. And you don't really like being around them. You see them at the hallway in school or in your dorm or in your office, and you kind of walk a little bit away from them because you don't want to be associated with those people. But Jesus loved the unlovely. He touched the untouchable. And he was okay with hanging out with the people that we thought were really far from God. Who's really far from God in your life that maybe God's saying to you to kind of find ways to be engaged in their life and, and stop trying to walk away? Next one. He did whatever the Father told him to do. Jesus said so many times in the Gospel of John, I'm only, I will only do what God tells me to do. I will say what God tells me to say. I will go where God, the Father tells me to go. The one who sent me told me to do this, so I'm going to do what he told me to do. If nothing else, if everyone in this room was resolved that we will do whatever God tells us to do on a given day, on a given moment, um, it's incredible what would happen in your life and in this community of Bloomington. There are way too many times where you or I I have a sense that God's saying to do something, but it's a little bit challenging and kind of stretching, so I'm not going to do that right now. How many times have God told you maybe to talk to somebody, engage in a conversation, pray with somebody, let, you know, break your agenda for the day to help somebody out? I mean, just in this last week, there was, a, there was a confession of a pastor here. There was a time this last week where I really felt like God was saying, why don't you right now, walk towards your wife, put your hand on her, and pray with her about this issue that you're both trying to talk through. And I thought, well, that's kind of, I know you want me to do that, God, but that's kind of, I, I know it's my wife, but I, sometimes that can be, I, you know, I, that might make her upset. I, I don't know, so I, did, you know, I didn't do it. A couple days later, God did, said the same thing. Hey, will you just engage your wife on this and say, can we just pray about this? We've been talking, and I did it. But it's those simple little things, those little things that God says for us to do. Yeah, maybe God's telling you to go, you know, win, win the world for Christ. Sure, start with the little thing about your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, or your roommate that God's asked you to do. But Jesus did whatever the Father told him to do. Next one. He sacrificed his life. This one we'd rather not see. Yes, we want to see it because the cross, we need that because we want to get into heaven after we die. But if if Jesus is sending us to, into Bloomington to do what he did, if he sacrificed his life, can we skip this one for us? Because words like sacrifice and suffering and pain and persecution and inconvenience 
are not things I really want to sign up for. I thought Jesus came to show us how to live life really well. But please, sacrifice, inconvenience, suffering, persecution, and difficulty is not what I want. But I'd say this, you, you cannot have the life and joy God has to offer unless you are willing to walk into the pathway of sacrifice, suffering, and persecution. And those two, joy and the suffering and person go hand in hand. I don't know what God may be calling you into. I'm not saying we act like jerks so we get persecuted by the world. I'm not saying that. But later on in the same evening, Jesus tells the disciples, the world's going to hate you. They're going to hate you and they're going to persecute you. And actually, they're going to even find joy in killing you. That's what Jesus told his disciples. That's the part of the meal that you and I wish he wouldn't have had to say. Yeah, he can give his life, but don't ask that from us. But the reality is, if we want to see what God wants to do in Bloomington, we have to be willing to follow Jesus in this. Because the next thing, when it says he, he also rose, if we want to break ourselves away from the fear of death and the fear, all the fears that come from that, we've got to be the kind of people who embrace suffering, sacrifice, and persecution. And then Jesus then becomes the one who has power over those things. Jesus sending us into Bloomington to do what he did. This is a map of Bloomington, all right? Roughly, roughly. You can kind of see the main drags coming through town. Um, every one of you, if you saw the map close enough, you could probably stick a pin in there. Where, we're not going to stick a pin in the screen, though, where you live. Maybe it's on campus. Maybe it's down in the southwest quadrant here. Maybe it's over here in Ellettsville. Maybe it's... But wherever you are right now, wherever you live right now, Jesus sent you there. There's a reason you're in the family you're in. There's a reason you have neighbors that you have. There is a reason the person who works next to you in the cubicle is there. There's a reason you're in the dorm you're in, the apartment you're in, the high school or junior high school you're in. There's a reason you're there. And you're there to do what Jesus did. One of the things, what we, in a nutshell with Exodus, what we say is the, the mission of Exodus Church is to release life. Go to the next slide there, Chip. We say it's the, to release life, and it comes from this passage that we read earlier. That Jesus said, this was my mission. This is what I came to do. Here's what I want us to do right now. I want all of us to read this out loud together. And when you say the word, when, when we come to me, the me is you. Because if this is what Jesus was sent to do, then when you read this, when you say is upon me, I want you to think that it's upon me. You being the me, not me being the me. You know what I'm saying? All right? Think about where you live. Think about people you work with. Think about people you don't like. Think about people that you'd rather... Think about the untouchables in your life. Think about the hard-hearted people that you think are far from God in your life, all right? Now, out loud, w read this with me. And this is your mission in Bloomington, all right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that least, that the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free and the time of the Lord's favor has come. Um, Luke Shimmick, stand up. Read that out loud for all. Just about you. This is about Luke Shimmick now. Read it out loudly. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be set free, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. All right, Sarah, why don't you stand up out loud and loudly. Read that. This is Sarah, who's also been sent by God. Go ahead, Sarah. Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the 
Everybody stand up. Let's all read this one more time. When you say me, put emphasis on it because it's you. All right, here we go. The spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor has come. All right, have a seat. Now go to the next slide. Last slide. Here's the last one. What we say at Exodus, our mission is to release life. This is where that whole message comes from. It's because Jesus believed his, mess, his, his mission, his bottle of ketchup, if I can draw into a former illustration, his mission was to be used by God to set people free. What we want, and the reason Exodus Church exists is not to create a community of people who all want to go to heaven after we die and in the meantime live good family values. That's not why we exist. Why we exist is we want to become the kind of people who are willing to do whatever God tells us to do, say whatever God says, tells us to say, hang out with the untouchables, love the unlovables, because he wants to see this community... When God gets on Google Earth, he looks at Bloomington this way, right? It's what he sees. He wants to see this community become a place that is welcoming and open to whatever Jesus wants. We're not trying to change Bloomington to vote a certain way. We want the favor of God to be on Bloomington. Imagine what Bloomington would be like if the favor of God was on Bloomington. There'd be fewer child abuse reportings. There'd be fewer divorce. There'd be fewer abortions. There'd be less crime. There'd be marriages that are more healthy. All right? There'd be less people living above the poverty line. There'd be less people, less need for homeless shelters. The sex-related businesses on Walnut Street would be closed down, not because we pick it, but because there's no more any demand for it. If the favor of God were on Bloomington, Bloomington would be a whole different community and it would be a place where the favor of God, the glory of God, and, and joy dwells. It would be a place that would be blooming, to use a silly kind of analogy to the name of our town. All right? That's why we exist. We exist to change the community. We exist to change the campus. We exist to give Jesus his rightful place, not just over a room of people here, but over the whole part of the community. All right? That's why you're sent. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we're grateful that you set us free, that you're setting us free. We're grateful that you hang out with us when we're untouchable and unlovable and we feel dirty ourselves. And we're grateful that you gave yourself on the cross to break the chains of sin, to open us to a whole new life of friendship with God. And now as a community of friends of God, we want to continue your mission because that's what you ask us to do. And even as we move here to take communion, you know, what you told us to do to remember you by, would we remember what you've sent us to do in the way in which we are called to do it, which would be following your way, which is the way of joy and the way of suffering. Because we want to be people that are used by you to bring uh, refreshing, life-giving water to this town.
to our neighbors, to our whole community. So God, um, that's the kind of people we want to be. And would you give us the grace and the courage to be those kind of people and let you do whatever you want to in our lives because we are sent by you uh, to do that. And we ask this all in your name. Amen. Every Sunday we take...